Brian, I need a new MacBook and a new uh-huh. monitor so bad. Yeah, you're on the old cinema display. My monitor is literally a decade old, and my laptop is now past the line of getting updates, so I will not have access to Monterey on this current MacBook. So uh-huh. I'm stuck in this terrible cycle of like, I need a new monitor, but I can't get a new monitor because I'll have to buy a bunch of adapters for my old ass MacBook. And I can't get a new MacBook until Apple releases the new fucking MacBooks. Welcome to episode 406 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lovin. And I'm your co-host, Marshall Bach. I guess I'm the co-host too. (laughs) Yeah, hi, I'm Marshall. How you doing? Welcome back for another episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Got a good one for you this week. Let's dig right in. We got some new VIPs, very important pixels. Hey. Welcome to the fam, Max Kaplan, Dave, Michael Schultz, MJ, Zach Oderkirken, Chris Doner. Michelle Luo, Anton, Demetrius, Nate Ulrich, Cindy Rhodes, Tobias Nedgel, and Ted Chang. What a list, Brian. What a list. Big, big VIP week. Welcome to the fam, everybody. Recognize some uh, names in there, too, from Twitter and uh-huh. from real life. Yeah. Be sure to catch your first sidebar today. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means every week, listeners like you chip in and make this show possible to record. And in return, you get bonus content. Bonus. We have a bonus segment every week called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Sidebar is an extra episode. We talk about another design topic, review a design event, answer a bonus listener question, all that and more. If you want to get access to double the content, double the fun, double the design buzzwords, Head to patreon.com slash design details. For just a buck a month, uh, you can support us, get access to our entire backlog of sidebars, as well as the sidebar for today. Today, we're talking about advice for working in a big tech company coming from a startup. And of course, if you subscribe, you'll get access to all of our future sidebars. So once again, that's patreon.com slash design details. Okay, follow up, Marshall. We got a direct message from a listener who heard our interview with Justin Stahl where we talked about design systems as a general topic, impact on visual design skills, and this listener wanted to know what your opinion was. Being a design systems designer, uh, what you've seen or your opinion on design systems impact on visual design. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see how design systems can and are reducing the need for the average designer to be a super strong visual designer. I think the thing I always keep in mind is there are still great visual designers out there. And when they have great ideas, those ideas should work their way into the design system somehow, right? So a design system is not locked or final ever. You know, it it should be a living document or a living set of principles and ideas. And those should get updated as the zeitgeist changes, as preferences change, or as the product changes, right? That system needs to change. And when new ideas come along or a new need for an element comes along, that should be considered. And if it's good, added. So I I am very encouraging of the visual designers that I work with to like keep making crazy, awesome shit and... Sometimes it's too wild and I got to go eh, a little bit too wild. Maybe bring it back a couple <laughs> steps. Uh-huh. But 
I'm happy that they go wild because that's not typically how my brain works. My brain is is like, all right, what's the safe thing and all the accessibility requirements? How does it fit on the grid? And, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And that limits you to do some wild and crazy shit. And sometimes wild and crazy shit is terrible. And sometimes it's amazing. And it's important to let the terrible stuff happen so that every now and then you can pluck an amazing thing out. Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest argument, I think, in favor of having slack time, like not filling everyone's time up to 100% capacity because it leaves no room for the wild, dumb, crazy shit that somebody knows might not get approved, but they want to have a little bit of time to work on that, get it out there. Yep. Okay, let's get into our main topic, which is a listener question. comes to us on GitHub this week from uh, user Itadra, who commented, first issue on GitHub, welcome to GitHub, put it on my perf. Itadra says... It's been challenging to develop a new design system without an existing visual style guide. So I'm trying to explore more about the work behind designing UI when you're not a sole designer. I've got a feeling that designing UI is quite hard to do collaboratively, as taste is very much subjective to each and every individual. What's your experience when it comes to developing a new style guide? And does a single designer lead the process in terms of the visual direction? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, we're on a visual design kick here. I think this is a great question, which is, who, where does the visual style come from? Uh, who leads that? Who makes the final call, right? When it can, at times, be subjective. Yeah, I, it depends on the brand. It depends. All right. And let's move on to cool things, Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends. It depends on the size of the company. The larger the company, the more stakeholders involved the less likely it is that a single brain can make those decisions. But at a smaller startup, or if, if you're the only designer especially, like, yeah, it's it's all you. It's all coming from your brain. If you're on a small team, hopefully there's someone who is you know senior enough that they can either lead that themselves or delegate to someone else you know, to actually do that work. But yeah, somebody's got to do it. How has it worked at the places you've been at? I've worked... I mean, the only time I've worked on something from scratch, I suppose, would be Spectrum. That was in collaboration with Bryn. And it was a challenge. Like, Bryn and I had very different visual styles. And finding ways to collaborate in a way where, like, we each felt like we were expressing what we had in mind. Like, when we closed our eyes and pictured Spectrum, I think we both pictured slightly different things in our head. And, you know, we worked through it. We ended up collaborating on everything. But one interesting division that we did find was splitting between who owns like the brand and marketing and then who owns the product interface. And, you know, of course there was overlap on all of this, but I would say Bryn certainly owned the spectrum brand and visual style and the purple and the gradients and, and the iconography, like everything there. And perhaps I leaned in more on the visuals of the UI. So I don't know that's, and then everywhere else I've worked Facebook and GitHub, like, there was a visual style when I joined and there was a design system and like I could lean on patterns and principles that existed. And, you know, maybe as I worked on new projects could like propose changes or, or bring my own flavor of how I thought GitHub could look. But ultimately there was still something there that could be iterated upon. Yeah. I think it's really interesting what you said about spectrum, like the idea of, you know, as soon as you introduce more than one brain into the problem, like, there's going to be conflict, right? Even if you are good friends and well-aligned on on most things, like there will still be some points of divergence. 
And the other interesting thing that you mentioned is like you split ownership of those things. Like, okay, I have my realm of stuff that I own and you have your realm of stuff that you own. We can make sure that they're working well together, but like splitting up the work that way is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's like we'll critique the hell out of it and we'll try to get to a point where everyone's happy. But ultimately, like you need an owner for something. And I don't know, this is like business PM cliche, but this phrase of disagree and commit, which is like ultimately somebody's got to own it. They're going to get advice and feedback from as many people. And if you end up disagreeing, somebody makes the call, says this is what we're going to do, and everybody else has to disagree and commit to doing it because that person calls the shots. I'm a believer of that style of ownership. Yeah. How about you? Like, What's your, been your experience here? Yeah. So depending on which team I've worked on, it's been either a larger or smaller group. But generally, it's been like a brain trust of designers who have history doing this type of work and who have interest and passion to put in extra effort to contribute to it from a design language standpoint. But in the larger groups that I've worked in, like, you know, 40 plus people, right? What tends to work out so far pretty well for me has been having a representative from each arm of the organization that can kind of speak for more people than just their own self, but have enough Uh, institutional knowledge that they can answer questions and they know the product or their area of the product so well that like they can be a representative for it, like a a specialist of that thing. Right. And you get all of those specialists into a room together and we call it round table. And that's, that's very intentional. It's like, there is no king or queen at the head of the table. Like we're all peers here. And luckily we're generally aligned on most things. There are very few things where we are vehemently opposed to one another on stuff. Like generally we all have similar taste in what looks good for design. And when something needs to be decided, we put it to a vote, (laughs) like democracy whenever possible. Right. And usually the vote is pretty heavily in favor of one thing or another. There's been one time where we had a vote and it was literally split 50, 50. And we just had to do the thing that you said of disagree and commit. It's like, Yeah, okay, half of us are going to be upset with this, but this seems like the best way forward. So let's do this thing and we can always change it and do the other thing later on down the road. But otherwise, it's been generally amenable. And one thing that helps with that is to start with a straw person, right? Like if there's a thing that you want to talk about, you, you bring in a dummy to beat up and you go, okay, here's a place to start. This isn't where we're going to end. This is just a place to start from and everybody can chime in and go, well, I don't like this because that's too blue and I don't like that because that's too big or whatever. (laughs) Oh boy, you're you're triggering a lot of people right now. It sounds (laughs) like designed by committee, right? But when you get all of those ideas out, you can start to see the form of the thing. And if you start with a good enough straw person, it doesn't change a whole lot or at least it allows you to really quickly identify the parts where people agree and disagree. So the things that nobody mentions, like, okay, we're going to at least do that much. All these other little details, we can disagree and commit at some point. How do you get around the disagree and commit part if there's not a person that makes the final call? I mean, this is part of the question, right? Like, do you need a person that like ultimately they're accountable, but they also can break ties and yeah, I think the tie-breaking aspect is very important. And also, like, the, the driving aspect of it. You know, if if you're getting representatives from across the company, that means that this isn't their main job, right? Or this this isn't what they're doing most of the day. They're doing product work. And this design system stuff, 
they're only working on because they're so deep into the product, right? So it's important to have somebody who can dedicate all or most of their time to thinking about this stuff. And at my job, that's me. But having at least one person, even if they aren't like the supreme dictator putting down an iron fist on every decision, being like my way or the highway kind of a thing, like that's not a healthy way to do it. You want the benevolent dictator. A benevolent dictator can be good if that person is trusted and seasoned and established. Then you can assume that the decisions they make will be well-founded, right? Well, let me float this by you. Uh, hone in on the visual styles part of this conversation, like the way something looks. I think it's interesting at startups, your first designer, you kind of want them to just keep designing stuff the way that they've already been designing stuff. Like you, you would hire and like sort of screen for, does this person have a style and a sensibility that I would want them to apply to the very beginning of our product or company? And that is, is very different than hiring at a big company where it's like, no, no, no. The visual system is here. This company's a decade old. We have hundreds of designers working on this thing. Your visual style and preference doesn't matter. It's kind of like get on the boat, right? Like this thing looks this way. You better figure out how it works. Like, yeah, you could maybe try and nudge it forward. But there's just certain contexts where your personal style, you know, that's a whole other conversation but your personal style could conflict with the brand's style. And I think you could imagine a dangerous scenario where that person ends up in charge and they just sort of rock every boat, right? They're like, well, I think I want it to look this way, so I'm going to just start redesigning everything. And like, that's kind of a headache, right? Yeah. Yeah, so another part of this is thinking about how to start a new style guide. And here's how I think about it. The product or the service should influence the branding of that product or service. And the branding should inform the design language of that product or service, right? So if you're trying to look for inspiration, look at your logo, look at your wordmark, look at look at the branding stuff. If that doesn't exist, you need to make that stuff and you should take as inspiration the thing you do, right? Whatever it is that the company does that should define the branding and the branding is where you, where you start that design language from common colors or whatever your color palette happens to be typography. And, and I think we were talking about this a little bit when uh, Justin was on the show a couple episodes ago, but like uh, he mentioned an, an example of a bank, like if you're designing a bank logo and if you're designing a bank logo, that logo better look banky. You know, it's got to, it should look banky. Uh-huh. It should have like a burlap sack with a dollar sign on the side. Of <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, vibe. yeah. Yeah. No, but like it should, it should feel what you want a bank to feel like, which is uh-huh. legitimate and secure and yeah. strong and, and valid, right? Professional, uh, trustworthy. Professional, trustworthy. Run yes, by adults. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so you see a lot of like, dark blues and and serif fonts and stuff. But if you're designing a dating app, you don't necessarily want that to be buttoned up, suit and tie. It might yeah. want to feel more casual and stuff. So you might not choose that serif font. You might go with sans serif. Like That's just like one decision of a thousand that that framing will help you make. But I love how those visual decisions of serif or sans serif, what color do we use within the dating app realm those small decisions really change the way that you think about how the product should be used. I haven't been on a dating app in a long, long time. Same. But I remember that 
like the difference between Hinge and Tinder, right? Kind of similar. Like you have a profile that answers some questions and has some photos, but the way that those are presented visually with, I think Hinge was serif fonts for your answers. It's like user generated content is serif. The UI is sans. And it, it added character and like a weight to the things that a user has typed in in a way that I don't remember Tinder ever feeling in my head. Another example that comes to mind is even with chat apps or, or forums, really tiny decisions like the height of the chat input change the entire way that people will use that product, right? Mm-hmm. Is the chat input one line or three? And mm-hmm. if it's one line, it says, this is designed for you to type a few words. And if it's three, it says, this is designed for you to type a few sentences. And those are just really small visual decisions, you know, going back to your like, is this a bank or is this a chat app? Like those small, tiny decisions matter a lot. So, okay. So to break that back, you're saying at some point, like personal style doesn't matter as long as you're aware of what the product needs visually. Exactly. And on that point, as you start building out a design system, it's real tempting to start filling in all the blanks of, I need a slider and I need a segmented control and I need tabs and I need switchers and pickers and I need drop downs and dialogues and all this stuff. Like it's real easy to fall down that hole of like, oh, if this looks like that, what would this other thing look like? And design things that you don't need yet. Yeah. Right. So only add things as they're needed and try to try to hold back the uh, desire to design the entire world because I know those feels as well. You just got to yeah push them down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start with a button. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, typography. Only add styles as you need them, mm-hmm. right? There's no reason to have five different headline styles when you only really need one or two. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's like, here's our entire typography system for our one page of product. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, how... <laughs> Three. All right. Well, those are the three that you need. Got but it. it's there if we need it. Yeah. 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 And it, I mean, it depends on how big the product is and how unknown the usage of that thing is. Like, yeah, maybe you might need a bunch of button styles or, or list item styles. But restraint is what I'm saying. Practice mm, restraint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's hard. Well, hopefully this was a useful conversation. Let's wrap. Cool things. Cool. Yeah, you do. Uh, you go first. Okay. Uh, looks like we're having a TV kind of week. I'm gonna do a double whammy. First is a show that I recently completed called Mayor of East Town. Mayor <laughs> spelled M-A-R-E. Murder, murder. Yeah. Murder, murder. Yeah. Uh, has a great SNL skit made for it, and uh, it was good. Seven episodes. It is dark. It is gritty. It is sad. It is about uh, I don't know. Small town detective with a bad personal life and potentially severe depression investigates the murder of a teenage girl. I don't know. Maybe that's a little generic, but the acting, phenomenal. Like It was a good show. Intense in the right moments, funny in the right moments, heartwarming in the right moments, and I thought it had a satisfying ending. So Mayor of Easttown, and then I want to do a mini cool thing, which is Marshall, I don't know if you remember last year, the bright beacon of light that got us through lockdown and the COVID pandemic. Oh, I remember. Mr. Lasso himself, season two has begun. Yeah. I watched episode one last Friday. I saw a funny tweet though, which is a very valid tweet, which was something along the lines of, I don't know if I even want to watch season two, lest it ruins the like Dude, what I'm, is in my, what I picture in my head when I think of season that, one. That is exactly what I'm going through right yeah. now. It's been sitting in my up next for days and I just yeah. look at it and I go, 
but it's already so good. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm fine. I almost wish. It's so hard that, like, imagine the pressure that that team and those actors must be feeling for that kind of reception. And then they're like, fuck, we already committed to season two. Like, yeah. Maybe it's exciting. Let's do another bottle of lightning, I guess. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. But if the first season is any indication, the second season will be wonderful. Yes. All right. That's my cool thing and a half. Since it's only uh, one episode into Ted Lasso. Oh, they're doing it weekly. I thought it would just yeah, be a whole it's a, big it, drop. No, weekly. Yeah. Maybe I'll wait then. Maybe I'll wait till it's done. Yeah. All right. Well, I have a cool thing which is also television related. We watch a lot of cooking shows, me okay. and the partner. And you know how much of a fondness I have for elimination shows, uh-huh. such as Survivor and such the a like. Survivor. Yeah, yeah. So this is that. It's a baking show. It's called Crime Scene Kitchen. And okay. the premise is, I think, genius. So it's a cooking show, and there's like 12 pairs of cooks. But the catch is they don't know what they're making. And there's a kitchen in the middle of the studio that each pair privately gets to go into for two minutes to inspect the crime scene. And they look at all of the utensils and crumbs and things left over behind from whatever was cooked in there, and they have to piece together based on okay, there's crumbled pecans here and there's wax paper in the trash can and there's a half-used jug of milk in the fridge and Ah, there's uh, chocolate spots on this this paper in a specific pattern that makes me think it's this thing. So it's a combination of not only being able to pick out the clues but then place that to a thing you already know how to make. Oh, damn, yeah. So, And then each team is sequestered in their own kitchen. They don't get to see or hear what any other team is working on. And then they come forward and they present their desserts and they're judged based on, one, how well they turned out, how tasty they are and and how good they look, but then how close they got to the actual thing. So they reveal the original item and sometimes they're dead on and sometimes they're not. And it's really interesting because I am not a baker. I don't know very much about this stuff. Half the stuff they're talking about, like, what the fuck is a decois or a crocombouche? Like, crocombouche? Like, <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know what this shit is. Never heard of those words. Yeah, 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 exactly. But they knew, not only did they know that it existed, they knew what it constituted and what specific ingredients pointed directly to that as opposed to something else similar. Uh-huh. Anyways, here's the kicker. It's hosted by Joel McHale of Community and Talk Soup fame. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So he And he fourth walls it every episode. He's like making fun of the show kind of in a meta way, like as he's hosting the show. Uh, they did a cross promotion with another show. It's on Fox. So the star from another Fox show came on to Crime Scene Kitchen and he introduced her as the cross promotional, whatever her name was. <laughs> I was like, he knows what's going on. And it's kind of nice to have a host that ribs the contestants a little bit and doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He's just there to host the show. He has no clue about baking whatsoever. So, <laughs> Does he eat everything? Is he part of the tasting panel? Yeah, yeah. He gets to eat okay. the stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's got the best job. So he just That's sits around and watches job. people bake. Yeah. It, it's basically Lego Masters, right? It's the same role that Will Arnett has on yeah. Lego Masters, but instead of Lego, it's baking cookies cookies and <laughs> cakes and rolls and all sorts of shit that i've never heard of before okay. outside of that i'll yeah. i'll check it out this sounds like it's up effie's alley as well link in the show notes but yeah crime scene kitchen we call it murder kitchen in our house because virginia can never remember the name of it so she just calls it murder kitchen <laughs> murder murder kitchen <laughs> yeah yeah murder murder and murder kitchen <laughs> yeah 
All right. Well, this has been episode 406 of the Design Details Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. As always, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you enjoyed it and want to get some bonus content this week, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash design details. For just a buck a month, you get access to the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. A bonus segment every week. This week, we're talking about advice for people going to a big tech company for the first time. How to be successful in big tech. So if you want to hear that and our backlog of sidebars and get double episodes going forward, head to patreon.com slash design details. It's just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. All righty. That's it. We will catch you next week. Bye. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. I can't go. Higher. I can't go any higher than it's, that. Yeah, yeah, it's too hard. Top of my register.